At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. A warmer for the low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas. For Jessica Soups with myself, Greg Eubes and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. We are going to be joined by one of our good friends over there at EchexCBB. Today, it is Andy Dekoff who's going to be joining me. We're going to be taking a look at these Pac-12 teams that have been able to make it to the Sweet 16. Also going to ask him about the Portland Pilots as well because they were supposed to have a college basketball classic game today. And it's unfortunately been pushed back to Saturday, so we've got all Sweet 16 games today. But they've been able to make a little bit of a run there. And as I always say, money is money. It doesn't matter if you're betting on the college basketball classic, these Sweet 16 games. The Super Bowl, when it winds up hitting February, list goes on and on, obviously. Your limits on the Super Bowl are going to be a little bit bigger than, say, Portland versus Southern Utah. But with that said, you are able to make some money off of these games. So we'll be asking about the turnaround that they've had because Terry Porter in five years at Portland went 7-70 and in conference. This year they went 7-7 seven and seven in conference. So I do think that they deserve a little bit of credit with that regard. So we're going to be talking to Andy about that in the second segment. Then in the final segment, we've got four Sweet 16 games. So going to give you guys picks and analysis on all four of those games as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. If you've got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters CM. Name me does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find the five-star review. Biggest thing I've been asked is how I'm keeping up with all these transfers, all these coaching hires, and I'm right now going day-to-day to verbal commits and just seeing like the hundreds and hundreds of players that are entering into the transfer portal. This is really going to be a podcast that goes a little bit more into off-season mode once we wind up having the Final Four set up. So after Sunday, because obviously from there you wind up having two games in the NCAA tournament for the next week before you wind up having the national championship game, you have the NIT semifinals, and that's about it. So from there, next week, we're really going to be starting to go a little bit more hard and heavy into the transfer portal because there's just fewer games to be able to handicap, but I'm keeping track of all these things. I'll be having my thoughts all throughout the offseason. This is not a case in which I need to try to cram everything into March and April because I wind up doing this all season long, so we're going to be doing our conference previews of every single conference. We're going to be taking a look at all these transfers, all these coaching hires, so don't worry. It's all coming in the offseason. There's just frankly no money to be made taking a look at some of these SEC coaching hires as of right now because we're going to call it what it is. You're not going to be able to bet on any of those SEC teams aside from Arkansas who's going to be in action today. 
until we wind up hitting November. So I'm not in too much of a rush to wind up making like rash judgments as to this is the greatest hire, this is the worst hire ever. So we're going to take our time with that, but we're going to be hitting upon all that during the offseason. Have no fear there. So we've got a whole lot of that going on. And we've also got a couple games that are outside the NCAA tournament going down. We wound up having a pair of NIT games, the CBI final, and a college basketball classic game yesterday. So let's take a look back at those, try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. How about the run at the end of the season for UNC Wilmington? They take down the best cover team in all of college basketball in double overtime in Middle Tennessee as Middle Tennessee wraps up the year 26-8-1 against the spread as they lose in double overtime to UNC Wilmington by a count of 96-90. And for UNC Wilmington, they wind up going 23-11 against the spread. And moreover than that, you take a look at UNC Wilmington, what makes this all the more incredible is that they began the year 1-6 against the spread. So what that means is you pretty much wind up having UNC go 22-5 and against the spread in their last 27 games for this Wilmington team. Nothing short of incredible as Donovan Sims in overtime actually did wind up burying a three for Middle Tennessee to force double overtime and he had himself a game. 27 points, he did wind up taking 17 shots, but 14 of 16 at the free throw line, Middle Tennessee, 34 of 46 at the charity stripe, Wilmington, 36 of 43 at the free throw line. You had the Jalen's. Jalen Sims and Jalen Forbes both make some very clutch shots in this game. Forbes wound up hitting a pair of threes at the end of regulation to be able to force overtime. He had 19 points off the bench for Sims, 28 points. I believe that he still has eligibility remaining, so this is a man that if he winds up deciding to come back to school, I'm sure that he's going to be very coveted by both Wilmington and other suitors. And for our UNC Wilmington in a double overtime game, just five turnovers in this contest as they wind up being able to get the job done despite losing the rebound medal by kind of 52-36. Texas A&M won a very butt-ugly game against Wake Forest by a count of 67-52 for Wake Forest. 21 turnovers and 18 made buckets. That's just not going to win you any games. With regards to the rebound battle, they lost that by a count of 41-38 as Texas A&M is going to be heading to the great state of New York for the NIT Final Four over there at MSG as it was really not necessarily one guy that wound up having a big performance. Wade Taylor the fourth, Quinn Jackson, and Tyrese Radford all had between 10 and 12 points apiece. And all these guys did a relatively solid job on the glass as well. But for Texas A&M, it combined 14 turnovers behind everyone. So they did a great job there winning that turnover battle by a count of 21 to 12. And then for Texas A&M as well, you did wind up having the same go just 5-23 from three-point range, but Wake Forest 6-27 from distance. Washington State, they put on a nice defensive clinic of their own. 77-58, they're on to Madison Square Garden. They went 9-27 from three-point range, with Michael Flowers really being the head of the sink for the team in this one. 27 points, five assists. They win the turnover battle by a count of 13-6. has been a big commonality with regards to the NIT, Caleb Blonner. 9 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists. He had himself a solid game along with Fusani Trier. 16 points, 8 rebounds, and Alex Barcel. His career winds coming to an end in three years at BYU. Shot over 45% from three-point range for his career. But in this one, BYU just 3 of 20 from distance. Washington State, a top 30 team with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. And they were able to get the job done there. And if you wound up taking the DK Nation pick, we always love posting up the gif of the Penguins saying, on my way, and they were on their way. They don't wind up getting the outright win, and this was a case in which the total winds up going over, but Youngstown State able to get the job done on the cover as they go 18 of 19 at the free line. Meanwhile, Fresno State, 
They wound up missing quite a few free throws of their own. They went sub 70% at the charity stripe for Fresno State. They do wind up going 9-28 from three-point range. Double-double out of Orlando Robinson. And for Fresno State, you do wind up having three different players come in off the bench and give you double figures. Destin Whitaker was able to do so along Donovan Yap. And then wound up getting some nice production out of Praxin Mia. A guy that's only been able to average right around a point and a half and two rebounds per game. So they did a solid job there. For Young Sun State, they wind up losing the rebound battle by three boards. So they did a relatively solid job of being able to hold up there. So that is what we all wound up seeing in college basketball on Thursday. And if you're just taking a look at the last week in college basketball in general. So this is pretty much from the start of the round of 64 until now. This includes the NIT and the NCAA tournament games. Seeing quite a few overs. 47 overs to 35 under. So right around 57% of games have went over. And underdogs in this time span, 45 and 37 against the spread. So hitting between 54.5 or so percent. So that's what we wound up seeing in college basketball on Wednesday. Now let's take a look at everything that we've got that's coming up for the Sweet 16 Thursday with our good friend over there at EchexCBB Andy Decop. That's up next right here on Coast Coast Soups with myself, Greg Hughes Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and it is great to be joined by our guest as Andy Dekoff is doing absolutely amazing work over there at Heatcheck CBB, and man does a little bit of everything. He does some coverage of local sports out there in the great state of Oregon for Madras Pioneer, along with the Portland Tribune as well. He's a guy that has his own power index for taking a look at a lot of these college basketball teams as well. And to be able to follow Andy on Twitter, that is at his name, Andrew Dekoff. Last name is spelled D-I-E-C-K-H-O-F-F. And Andy, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you. Thanks for having me back, Greg. It is great to have you aboard. And Andy, last we wound up seeing Arizona, they were pushed to the brink by TCU. Now they are going to be in the floor against Houston. And I think that you'd be in agreement with me. Kirk Kreese had probably the most strange plus 20 plus minus I've ever seen in my life in a college basketball (laughs) game because boy oh boy he did not look good in that game and I would argue that they might have honestly lost that game just because they wound up playing Creesa in that one gotta think that he's gonna be a little bit closer to 100% in this game but I think that it is so fascinating because you've got a Houston team in which I think you're able to make the argument that their best win has been against Illinois which they wound up just getting that win, but the metrics on Houston are so good, much like they are with Arizona. It's true, and I think you bring up a good point with Kirk Kreese, uh kind of spotlighting that as a problem point with Arizona. If you look at the three losses that they have on the season, that first one to Tennessee became a lot closer, and he had a, a good second half, but what I kind of remember in that game is him getting his pocket picked by Kennedy Chandler and having some real struggles early on, and then he went scoreless against UCLA in in a loss to the Bruins. And he only had, I believe, five points it was against Colorado in that loss. So when Kirk Kreese really does disappear, it's a problem for Arizona. Specifically, one of the other issues that Houston has had is allowing multiple guys to score in double figures. I think in all of their losses this year, there's been at least three guys in double figures. So Kirk Kreese needs to be that guy for Arizona, along with Benedict Matherin and Christian Coloco, who I think are going to get theirs. I mean, they certainly did against TCU, but they were the only two 
who got into double figures combined for 58 points between them. So that's pretty good. But nobody else scored more than six points. So that wasn't just a Kirk Reese thing. There wasn't a ton of scoring going around to the other players on the team, despite scoring 85 points on the night. You nailed it kind of by highlighting that Kirk Reese is an important one in this matchup. Yeah, I think that it is going to be very fascinating to see what we wind up getting out of him. And with Arizona, I would argue that one of the biggest constants in all of college basketball with regards to just individual units has been this Arizona offense. 80-plus points in 11 out of 12 games. With Creasa off the floor in those Pac-12 tournament games, they were still able to get to 80 in all of them. And you've got a Houston team that they hang their head on defense. They do a great job with that regard. I think that that's going to be a very interesting battle because I think that if Arizona gets their pace, it's going to be tough for Houston to be able to keep up and vice versa. If Houston is able to slow this game down, that'll push Arizona out of their comfort zone. Yeah, and one other thing that's impressive about Houston and specifically in their ability to match up with Arizona is that they've got the front court guys that can actually play with players like Coloco and Tumelis and Omar Ballo. They have size that can match with that. Josh Carlton, Fabian White, Reggie Chaney. These guys have no problem bumping around. I mean, they just played with Illinois, a very tough two-point defense. They played with UAB, another tough one. Memphis, the game before that. So these last three games, they've faced pretty good front courts and pretty good interior defenses. And they've won all of them by double digits pretty easily. They've been hitting threes as well. So, you know, I think Houston does match up pretty well with Arizona offensively and defensively, because I think that they can maybe neutralize some of what Christian Coloco has been able to do to other teams. But we'll see. That's going to be the big thing to watch for, I think. I do agree with you there. I think that that is going to be a very fascinating storyline with regards to this game, as we do have Andy Dikoff joining me on the podcast. And Andy, why don't you just take a look at this NCAA tournament? I really do feel like defense has been rewarded throughout, and I think that that's really been a theme of these teams that have been able to survive in advance. One team that that hasn't necessarily been the case for, that would be North Carolina. I think that it's going to be really fascinating to see how their matchup winds going, as this one is obviously more of a Friday game that they're going to be playing against UCLA. But I take a look at UCLA, even if Jaime Akas is not wind up playing, and I fully expect him at this point to be out there giving it a shot for UCLA. I wind up giving them a little bit of a leg up. I'm not sure how you wind up taking a look at this one, just because you've had a little bit more of a view of UCLA rather than North Carolina. But I take a look at UCLA, and this is a team that I think has all the goods to go to the final four, perhaps a national title game. Yeah, I'll be honest. I was a little bit out on UCLA before watching them twice in Portland in person. You'd seen a few games over the season. Watching them right now and the way that the team is playing, especially Jules Bernard stepping up as he has kind of right now and a really important role around what Johnny Juzang and Jaime Jaquez and Tiger Campbell bring to the table. I think that he's been a really important part that I probably wasn't giving enough credit to. He hit big shots against Akron, arguably the MVP of the game for them against St. Mary's as well. UCLA, I do think presents a bit of a problem for North Carolina. North Carolina is going to have to deal with a very, very careful team. UCLA has not made a lot of mistakes this season. They're like a top five team in terms of turnover rate. Even when they struggled against Akron, they only had eight turnovers in that game. So I think that North Carolina, their run may be coming to an end here. We'll see if they can get the game to the free throw line. And if Armando Baycott can really take over on the inside against Cody Riley, that could be 
you know, the pathway to victory here, but I'm just not sure that they are going to be able to do that. Perhaps I'm biased. Like you said, I've seen UCLA a bit more than I've seen North Carolina, uh, especially recently, but I agree. I think that UCLA does have national title potential, especially given what's remaining in the field. The big thing here, obviously, you don't want to overlook this North Carolina game or any potential Purdue. But I do think, you know, a rematch of UCLA-Gonzaga is looking like it could be a real possibility for the Final Four. I think that that would be a fine game to be right on the cusp of deciding the best team for this season. I do think that it's going to be so interesting to take a look at that matchup. I like what I'm seeing out of UCLA. I thought that they were very solid in the game against St. Mary's. And I think that ultimately North Carolina's lack of defense is going to be nipping them in the butt in this one. And Andy, when it comes to what we've seen out of the NCAA tournament, I think we both agree the biggest riser has been the Peacocks of St. Peter's because, well, when you wind up starting out as a 15th seed, there's only one place to go but up if you wind up making it this far in the NCAA tournament. But among the Sweet 16 games, which one right now do we have your eye on the most in terms of a team that has either been getting into your good graces a little bit more or a team that you're out on perhaps a little bit more? Well, I'm looking at one matchup that is going to be really, really interesting to me. I don't know how I feel about it yet is Iowa State and Miami. The two teams, they're, they're just very different. Statistically speaking, Miami is a lot of offense and not a really, really fast pace, but not a slow crawl either. Iowa State, on the other hand, that's, you know, all defense and they're a little bit more of a grinding team. So it'll be very interesting to see which of those two teams is able to keep this going. It reminds me a little bit of when Oregon State and Loyola Chicago met last year where I just wasn't quite sure what to expect from the game. Obviously, I had a lot more of a rooting interest in that being from Corvallis. This one, I'm watching a little bit more as a total neutral, just trying to see what's going to prevail here. The offensive firepower of Miami with all their great guards or the defensive you know, prowess of Iowa State with all of their great guards. And not to disparage any of the bigs in the game either. So that's the one I think that's the most intriguing Sweet 16 game to me. Also, just because I did not really expect either team to get here. And I'll eat crow on that. I was wrong on that. Both of them have played better than I thought they would. Obviously gotten upsets based on their seeding. But I just didn't really take either of them too seriously as contenders to get to the spot. And kudos to them for getting here. So that's the one I'll be probably keeping a really tight eye on. Absolutely. And Andrew, a big reason why I love having you on this podcast on this day is that we're going to see one game that is not in the NCAA tournament go down. And that's in your state. That'd be the Portland Pilots. As of the time of this podcast, we do not know how who they're going to be playing because this college basketball classic sort of tournament has been not really a tournament because I don't know if there's actually been a bracket made for it. It's been very hodgepodgey. Wofford was supposed to get like a buy into the second round and then they like opted out of the tournament. Merrimick was supposed to be in there and then, well, that wound up happening. And I, I, I don't know what's really been happening with regards to it, but we don't know that there's going to be a game for Portland on Thursday. And I think it's very intriguing because Portland, regardless of who they played, they've actually played some really good basketball down the stretch now and got a little bit jump trucked out there 
in the West Coast Conference Tournament, but they were able to pull off a very nice win in the month of February against San Francisco. And I would say relative to expectations, Portland was one of the better risers in all of college basketball this year, especially after what we wound up seeing in the Terry Porter era. I think that he had won like one conference game the last three years, and they went 7-7 seven and seven in West Coast Conference play. What can you tell us about the Pilots? Because I've actually really liked watching this team this year, and they've been profitable for a lot of people out here in Vegas. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the obvious place to start, it would seem like, is the head coaching change. Uh, Shante Leggins coming in and before basketball was even dribbled, just changing the trajectory of the program, I guess, from one that was sort of floundering a bit under, well, I mean, not a bit. You, you put out the numbers. It was in some pretty dire straits under Terry Porter. And Shante Leggins was a huge breath of fresh air coming off of a NCAA tournament appearance and a near upset with you know, a fun team that caught people's attention. And yeah, they didn't pull it off. But the Eastern Washington Eagles, they still made enough of an impact by losing to Kansas that day that both of the Groves brothers ended up in Oklahoma and Shante Leggins went to Portland in a good turn for both teams, I think. So anyway, with Portland, yeah, I think just having positive feelings around the program is something that hadn't been there for a few years. So that's a great place to start. You come in and you get a few good wins or some close losses and you start to feel good about yourself. And then you take a win like San Francisco on the road in February. And that really is something that Portland hasn't done a lot of in the last you know five years, winning on the road in big games. That was a fun night. I remember watching that game as well. Portland Pilots basketball being fun isn't really something that's been the case. And it's been a place where guys have a good season and leave, like Marcus Shaver, let's say, who made the tournament with Boise State this year. That's one example. There's plenty in the past, I'm sure, if I looked a little harder. But then you get a six-game stretch. Yeah, there's a D2 game in there, you know, a non-Division One game in there. But you get a lot of wins down the stretch. You get a postseason win, however wacky it looks like. I mean, Oregon State won a CBI back in 2009, and I'm not saying that is why the program is in a slightly better spot, but it didn't hurt. That's, I think, where Portland is right now is any positive influences or information being fed into the system for Portland is just good. So yeah, for a program that was really kind of turning into a laughing stock in a sad way, it's definitely on the other side of it now. It's been pretty fun to watch and it will be fun to see however this this basketball classic <laughs> does wrap up. Whatever the ending is will be fun. Yep, it certainly will be. And Shante Leggins could lose his next 63 conference games and he would match the win percentage that Terry Porter wound up having in conference play while he was with Portland in five oh. seasons, seven and 70. Shante Leggins went seven and seven this year. So that speaks oh to how well he wound up doing. So I think Shante Leggins deserves a little bit of credit for what he's done at Portland and a man that always deserves credit for all the great work that he's doing. That'd be you, Andy. You guys over there at Heat Check CBB are the best. You guys do a great job of just giving college basketball fans what they're looking for. And your work does not stop with the NCAA tournament. You guys are taking a look at the transfer portal. You guys are taking a look at just all these coaching hires. I mean, the SEC already has six of them. So you've got a lot going on there. I know that you guys are dialed into a little bit of everything. So let the good people at home. No, they're able to follow you on social media and just what's all on tap for you. Absolutely. So yeah, like you said, over at heatcheckcbb.com, that's the best place to go for this college basketball coverage. Not just my own, but everybody over there does such a great job. Definitely go over there. I do podcasting with Mountain West Wire. So at WM 
C wire on Twitter. And I am working with the Portland Tribune. So I did some NCAA tournament coverage for them because those were in Portland recently. And then I also do daily coverage of the local sports here in Madras with the Madras Pioneer. Andy, you do an absolutely amazing job just taking a look at the sports landscape in the state of Oregon in general and his work at Heat Check CBB and all the gentlemen over there at Heat Check CBB. They are top-notch, and Andy always brings it on the podcast, much like he did today. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coast to Coast. Soup. now part of the VEASAN family podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we hit some bank shots. Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Craig Hoops, and it is always a pleasure to get Andy Deacoff on the podcast. He does absolutely incredible work over there with Heat Check CBB along with the Madras Pioneer holding it down in the great state of Oregon, taking a look at everything in the landscape over there. And we were talking about that Portland game that it looked like was scheduled for tonight. That has unfortunately been pushed back a little bit. So got a little bit of a preview of what we're going to be getting Saturday there. But with that said, some great insights from him. And we're going to be having a lot of fun taking a look at these final few games of the college basketball season. So big thanks to him for joining me in last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on all four games in today's Sweet 16 action as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GUnit underscore D1. We are going to be going with the two games from the South region, and then from there, we are going to be going with the two games. They're going to be out there with the West. I have no idea why the later game for the South is up first in the Las Vegas rotation order, but it is what it is. 623-624 is how we're starting off. Houston versus Arizona. Arizona's one and a half point favorite, and your total is anywhere between 145 and 145 and a half. The biggest constant right now in all of college basketball is Arizona basketball with regards to their offense because they have been able to break 80 points in 10 out of their last 11 games. It's been absolutely incredible to watch these guys. You've got Ben Matherin, who has been doing an incredible job with 17 points per contest, but Christian Coloco He's able to go a local seven and a half rebounds, nearly three blocks per contest. I really think that he's going to be the X factor in this game. And then you take a look at Houston, number one team in all of college basketball with regards to offensive rebound rate. With regards to their misses, they grab a rebound on darn near 38.5% of their misses. But when you have to go up against Azulis Tabellis, who combines with Coloco for 27 points, right around 13 and a half rebounds per game, that certainly does wind up hurting things a little bit more. You do have a Houston team that is in the top 10 in both points scored and points allowed on a per possession basis, but who's their best win against? Probably against Illinois, the game that they want to play just a couple nights ago. You have an Arizona team that I do think that the health of Kirkcrease is very big. Now, I do think that Tommy Lloyd going to be much more quick to hit the eject button if Kirkcrease is looking like he wound up looking a few nights ago, which he wound up going like 1 of 10 from the floor with multiple turnovers. That was just not great, but talentary Pelly Larson. These guys have been keys for this team recently. Larson, a guy that's able to shoot about 36% for 3-5 plus rebounds in in each of the team's last three contests, a guy that has really been able to help fill in the void recently, and I do like Dallin Terry as well. Just a Swiss Army knife guy at six foot seven, eight points, five rebounds, shoots thirty five percent from three point range, double figures in three of the last four contests. He's been able to dole out at least four assists in each of the last three games as well, and turn the ball over combined six times in the last five games. In that time span, he's been able to dole out. 
21 assists, so I do like what he's bringing to the table for this team as well. Ben Mathurin, we all know about him, 18 points, 5.5 boards. It is a Houston team that, since conference plays began, has only shot right around 32.5% from three. I do like Kyler Edwards. The fact that he's able to give you 14 points, right around 34% three-point shooter, and then Jamal Sheet is really one of the more underrated Point guards in all of college basketball, 10 points, 6 assists, doesn't necessarily shoot a great from 3-point range, but does all this while turning the ball over only 2 times for contest. Houston, a team that turns the ball over 11.5 times per game, and they do a good job of being able to slow things down, but I mean, for Arizona, it doesn't matter who they're playing up against. Fast, slow, medium-tempo team, they have been able to get to 80-plus in those 10 out of their last 11 games, so I do think that that's going to be a constant. I do think that Arizona, especially with Umar Balo down low doing all that he's doing, they're going to be able to match up well with Josh Carlton along Fabian White. A pair of guys that have been able to for about 25 points, 12 rebounds. White is able to shoot 38.5% for three, but I think that Arizona has Houston a little bit outgunned in this spot. Houston playing in the state of Texas helps them out a little bit, but I do like Arizona in this spot to be able to get close to 80. I think that they get held below 80, but I think that they do enough to be able to get an over semi total at 147. So we're going there with Arizona one to lay up to three with them. So laying the points, 625, 626 on the bang board. Villanova and Michigan do battle. Michigan's a five-point underdog with your total on this game between 135 and one. 35 and a half. This is a spot in which I did wind up saying Villanova as a little bit more of a sizable favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the points because you do have a team in Villanova that executes late. Number one team in all of college basketball, the guards free throw shooting percentage. Every single player that has seen minutes for this team shoots at least 74% at the free throw line. So I did wind up saying Villanova at a six in this spot. Now Hunter Dickinson, guy that shoots right around 33% for three, seven foot one, 18 points, eight rebounds per game. It's going to be the most dominant big man in this game, but I feel like a lot of people don't put Villanova's big man in as high of regard as they should. Eric Dixon, Jermaine Samuels, combined for 12.5 rebounds per game. Dixon is able to shoot over 50% from three-point range. He combined for 20 points per contest. And then something that you're not going to find on any sort of a spreadsheet on the box score or anything like that, the want of a senior. And that's exactly what you've got with Colin Gillespie. Guy that shoots right around 40% from three has been a concept for this team all season long. Two years ago, COVID ripped away his chance to be able to play in an NCAA tournament. Last year, it was a late injury, so I feel like he's going to be very hungry, and he's going to really relish this opportunity. You also take a look at what you're able to get out of some of the ancillary pieces as well, like a Justin Moore who spent a little bit of time banged up, but has really been able to play some of his best basketball down the stretch. 15 points, 5 rebounds per contest, 15 plus in 3 of the team's last 5 contests. It's a Villanova team that only turns the ball over 10 times per game. That is in the top 20 in all of college basketball. It's a mystery again team that with regards points a lot on a per possession basis. They are the worst team currently in all of college basketball remaining in this NCAA tournament right around 200th. They really allow teams to be able to get inside on them as well. Now, each of their top four scorers do shoot at least 78% at the free throw line themselves. Caleb Houston along Devontae Jones, Eli Brooks and then Hunter Dickinson with Houston and Jones. They both give you between 10 to 10 and a half points per contest, but with Caleb Houston in road and neutral court environments, he averages eight points and shoots 26.5% from three. Meanwhile, he shoots more like 46% in Ann Arbor. He's just not been good away from Omusa Diabate. Being able to give you six rebounds per game has been solved, but I just don't think that guys like Brandon Johns, Terrence Williams the second are going to be able to give you enough, much like you're going to be able to get out of someone like, on the flip side, Caleb Daniels for Villanova, who's been very solid recently. 10.5 points, shooting nearly 40% from three-point range. I think that Villanova gets the job done against a leaky Michigan defense. A Michigan defense that, to their credit, they've allowed 69 points or fear and three out of their last four games with Villanova. They have been really 
really playing their best defense recently. They have now given up 66 points or fewer in each out of their last six contests, and I do think that they're going to be able to do a good job of slowing things down here, Villanova, in the bottom 25 of the guards' possessions game. Semi-total 134 diving under, and one to lay here with Villanova as I made them a six-point favorite. 627-628 on the betting board. It is Arkansas and Gonzaga and the DK Nation pick as Arkansas is a 99-point underdog. Jordan's game is 155, and the DK Nation pick is going to be Arkansas. With this Arkansas team, they're going up against Gonzaga a bunch of they're just not executing at the free line. Gonzaga shooting 59.5% at the free line in their last three contests. It's a big reason why they've had a little bit of a tough time covering. This is a Gonzaga team that has covered just one out of their last five games, and Arkansas has an advantage of being able to force turnovers. They rank right around 60th in the country with regards to turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, and Arkansas a top 25 team with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, Gonzaga forcing a turnover on right around 16% of opponents' possessions. That is 289th in all of college basketball. Arkansas, they are nails at the free throw line. They shoot right around 77.5% at the free throw line. I do think that Jalen Williams actually going to be able to match up very well with Chad Holmgren. Williams is a guy that's 6'10". We talked about him with Blake Lovell on the podcast yesterday and all that he's able to do with his versatility. Right around 10.5 points, 10 rebounds. He gives you 1.3 steals, a block per contest. Doesn't necessarily shoot well from three-point range, but he's able to shoot threes right around 32% in a road and neutral court environment. He's able to give you a couple of assists as well. And then J.D. Note has been a constant for this Arkansas team. Double figures in 33 of the team's 34 contests. It's an Arkansas team that they always find a way to be able to get to the free throw line. 25 plus free throws in all but one of their games this month. Uh, Drew Timmy, he has been incredible for Gonzaga. Showed that he's able to play a little bit more physical in that game against Memphis in which he wound up having 25 points, 14 rebounds, pretty much all of it in the second half. So you got to give him some credit where credit is due with that regard. And Andrew Dunbar has been able to do a good job of not turning the ball over. 12 points, 5.8 assists, 1.8 turnover shoots. 38.5% from three-point range of Rougier Bolton, one of the most underrated sharpshooters in all of college basketball, making 47% of his threes, but I do take a look at this Arkansas team. They've been able to do a very solid job of being able to lock down on defense. You take a look at what they've been able to do recently, and it has been quite amazing, especially from the two-point arc. Only reason why the Vermont game wound up going over is that you wound up having a bunch of late-game felling and Gonzaga. I think that a lot of people forget this is a team that they rank in the top five in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. It is a team that they have allowed now 72 points or fewer in, I believe, five out of their last six contests. And if you want to stretch it out to 73, they have allowed 73 points or fewer in all but two of their games ever since they wound up playing against Santa Clara. And that's dating all the way back to the 15th of January. So I do think that this is actually going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. I set my total at 152.5. You got a pair of teams that they play up-tempo, but they play sort of that 40 minutes of H-E double hockey six sort of style. I do think that with Arkansas having some some of your ancillary guys, like an Odis Tony, who's been able to give you 10.5 points, shoots in the low to mid-30s from three-point range. You've been able to have some good production out of Stanley Amudi, who's shooting over 40% from three-point range since SEC play wound up starting, that you are going to see Arkansas be able to hold in this game. Semi-line at 6.5. I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Arkansas. That is the DK Nation pick. Also, semi-total 152.5. So, diving under and going with the points. And we're at things up with 629, 630 on the banging board. Duke and Texas Tech do battle. Texas Tech is a one-point favorite. 
and your total saying we're between 137 and 137.5. I like Texas Tech in this spot. Number one team in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis in a road and neutral court environment. Got a Duke team that they just haven't necessarily been able to do as well as opponents are making 41.5% of their three-pointers and are turning the ball over 7.8 times per game in their last six contests. Duke overall is 335th in the country in terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis in road and neutral court games. Now with Texas Tech, you don't necessarily have that one headline score. If you do have one, the closest that you're going to come to it is most likely Bryson Williams. Williams has been able to do a solid job as a six foot eight combo player comes in from UTEP, 14 points, right around four and a half boards. She's 41% from three-point range, more around 36% in a road and neutral court environment, but helps run a relatively efficient offense. Texas Tech, they do have their issues when it comes to turning the ball over, but I do feel like having TJ Shannon out there and a little bit more healthy has been able to help this team out quite a bit. TJ Shannon has been able to give the team now a combined 37 points in the last three contests. A guy that has been able to shoot for the year 39% from three-point range with 10.5 points per contest. Kevin McCuller just makes winning plays for the team. 10 points, 4.5 boards, 3 assists per game. I do think the Texas Tech going to do a good job against Paulo Boncaro, who sometimes winds up taking a couple more jumpers than he should. Guy that shoots right around 32% from three is able to give you 17 points, 8 rebounds per game. Has looked solid here down the stretch. 17 plus points each out of the team's last three contests, but also a guy that's had a combined 7 turnovers in these two NCAA tournament games. That is a little bit of a concern. Wendell Moore has been able to kick it up a little bit more with his scoring. Really ran into neutral in January and February. Take a look at him down the stretch. Double figures in each of the last five games. And to his credit, two turnovers are fewer in four of the last five games. And Jeremy Roach deserves a little bit of credit as well. This is a man that came up big in that game against Michigan State with 15 points in 23 minutes. But it's a guy that could sometimes come and go. He has had a combined eight assists in the last two contests. But in the previous three, a combined two assists. So you don't know what you're going to be able to get out of him night in and night out. Meanwhile, Texas Tech, great depth with someone like a Davion Warren being able to give you 10 points. Not a great three-point shooter, but a guy that is able to give you a steal and after contest. Texas Tech, they force a little bit over eight steals per game. I think that that is going to be very key in this game. Now, you're going to have the best little post player in this game, and Mark Williams is able to give you nearly three blocks per contest for this Duke team. But Kevin O'Banner, this guy with NCAA tournament experience, was really able to put the team on his back in that game against Notre Dame. 15 points, 15 rebounds, and a block in that contest. He's really been able to transform his game, become a little bit more of a post presence. You still have down low Marco Santos Silva, who was able to give you a couple rebounds. Texas Tech, I just feel like the team is better than a Duke bunch. It's just not playing a lot of defense. I think that Texas Tech going to use that stifling defense to be able to get the job done. Once again, you just take a look at this Texas Tech team, and it is absolutely amazing what they've been doing on defense. This is a bunch that they have given up fewer than 70 points in now 11 out of their last 12 games. Duke is a team that I feel like they can be held down a little bit more, even though they have been really on a little bit of burner run, 78 plus points in now four out of their last five games. I think that Texas Tech's defense winds up winning out in this spot. Set the soda 136F. I'm diving under. Made Texas Tech a two and a half point favorite. And I do think a little bit of it as well. Gotta feel like the pressure of this being Coach K's last ride actually gonna be a little bit of a detriment to Duke in this spot. And that'll wrap things up for the Thursday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Vison family of podcast. A big thanks to Andy Dekoff of He Checks TV for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Citra, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, 
comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, you have one of two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM. Name me does not matter. So as per usual, please just send these into the timeline and the other ways find an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're both firing whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.